Hey, welcome to the bullpen session. This is Patrick Lovis. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Glad you're all right. Hoping everybody is doing well. It's funny, I was thinking about last episode and how talking about Omicron knocking me off balance and plays cutting down. And, um, you know, this week I'm feeling differently, which is good. That is the flow, the ebb and flow of the pandemic. I'm realizing this week my I got to see a show. I got to see Victor Almanzar's Through the Fire that Labyrinth Theatre Company is producing at 5090's 59th. And has, I think, three more performances run through the 5th. And, you know, it was just, it was great to be in the theatre. And it was great to hear Victor's story. And I, I hope you listen to Victor's episode on the podcast. He, you know, he's incredibly interesting, great artist, musician, actor, and his story that he's sharing i mean the thing that makes it the play i'll i'll save for the you know for you to see but his life it's just interesting it needs you know it is deserving of being a play and and exciting to hear and and but mostly it was exciting to be in the room seeing people that are part of my community and seeing, you know, something I was talking about before, you know, you're going to Broadway and you're going to off-Broadway, the established theaters, uh, the bigger theaters that are putting on plays, you're going to them and you're, you know, maybe you'll see one or two people you know, but mostly the event is the play and then you're going home. And this was just nice to see people before the show and have the conversation and starting to see more of a community gathering. And it's lovely. Uh, Also, I just think Victor's great and I recommend the show and I think everybody's doing a great job with it and we're checking out and on the same note uh this week I'm excited to talk to Eric Liu it's great when I invited him to talk he he said I think it's going to just sound like two friends catching up and I warned him that I was going to take the opportunity to actually learn things that I didn't know which we did and it was a great conversation the one of the things that sparked me to invite Eric to be part uh, to be on the pod is his play. This is only a test. Is happening at uh, Broken Nose Theater in Chicago and opening. I think it's opening next week. And it was when I saw it on social media that it was happening. I got really excited because the play was supposed to happen before the pandemic. And also, you'll hear in our conversation one of the things that I think is really interesting about Eric is that he, you know, he focused a lot of his early professional career working he's been on a bunch of bunch of tv shows as a writer and worked for a manager and it was a manager's assistant and just worked in the industry from that end while simultaneously keeping his playwriting career active and is now starting to i think see more fruits of that i think he's getting produced more as a playwright but i think he did it you know most of the people most playwrights i know right you know they're playwrights they start to get some success and then they want to go write for television i think it is interesting eric talking about what he learned doing it the other way and it's not one or the other he's doing both so it's a great conversation i'm looking forward to sharing that with you it's also yeah i think i want to just uh you know think take the plug and say go go out and see theater it's it feels um it was just great to see people. You know, I'm excited. I was was at the Chain Theater the other night to hear a reading of a pilot of a friend of mine's and um, meeting the two people who run that theater. And that's where Adina Taubman and I are going to do a play on mental health in April. But it just felt great. They were very, Kirk and Christina, who run it, were inviting and welcoming. And I thought, again, another opportunity to see people part of a community of artists and just getting to catch up with people you haven't seen. Some of them I hadn't seen in over two years. And starting to feel like, right, that's the part that we need. You know, I want to say it feels good, but I also want to encourage us to support and just, you know, show up. If you're in Chicago, go to Broken Nose Theater. If you're in New York, go to 59 East 59th. Go check out the, because I feel like these more independent productions, I mean, Broken Nose is not independent. They're a 10-year-old theater company and doing great. Labyrinth is knocking on 30 years. But I just want to encourage the fact that, or maybe I'm encouraged by that theaters, the non-larger institutions are opening up. And that feels more personal to me. And I really love it and need it. So hopefully you'll go check out a play soon and say hi to friends and people you care about and encourage and support those who are making good art. And 
with that, I'm excited to share and to get to hear. You can hear Eric talk about the current play that's going up and all the other stuff we talked about. With that, play ball. That was postponed. It was, you know, one of the casualties of the pandemic. So originally we were supposed to open May 2020. We were in Zoom rehearsals in March 2020, thinking, which we, you know, if we can remember that far back, thinking, you know, maybe it'll just be a couple weeks. You know, we'll postpone and we have a contingency plan if we if we have to push it up to three weeks. And then it became very clear that that's what was happening. And so, but we were, you know, Zooming. I was Zooming in from LA and they were all Zooming in in Chicago. And we did a lot of table work and stuff then. then. But I got the call, I don't even know how long ago, maybe like six months ago, that they were ready to open up. And we were, we're so it's Broken Nose Theater in Chicago. We're their first in-person production since the pandemic. So I'm actually excited about that too. And I think just given everything going on, you never know. Something that someone says in April of 2020 might not hold in February 2022 when this is supposed to premiere. So, but luckily they felt the play was still relevant and that they were really excited about it. Um, I guess I should maybe say what the play is about. Yeah, you can if you want to. What's it about? It's about um, active shooter drills. That's right. I read I read about it actually, but uh, so it's and, about, and oddly that's relevant all the time in this country. Well, and here's the thing, and you know it's so interesting talking about coming back to the theater and what do people want to sit and watch if you're gonna a risk spend your money, risk your t- risk your health maybe you know if you're masked up, you know it's a commitment and um, what what they kept saying to me and what has I was just out there for the first week of rehearsals. What I keep hearing is how funny the play is. And and it's funny because there's an absurdity about the fact that active shooter drills and, and children learning to protect themselves, like self-defense against active shooters is kind of our solution. And there's an absurdity in that, that there are some very practical things that we could be doing that we're not doing as a country, as a state, as a you know, school district, there are things that we're not doing that are very practical measures. And so we're resorting to kids having to learn what to do if someone points a gun at you. Right, and And an AR-15. An AR-15, right? And, 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 And so what you have to do is pick up the heaviest thing next to you and throw it at them and distract them and then jump them. And, um, our play does some reenactments. Um, but it, you know, and, 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 and we see drills that are actually, have actually been in use that are actually, you know, th- these are drills that they're, they're doing like, you know, and, and when I wrote this play several years ago, no one really, the idea of active shooter drills or reenactments of drills in order to desensitize and train students seemed like a, a fantasy, seemed like the, um, you know, a, a really imaginative writer's, you know, idea of what could happen. Um, but these things were actually happening. And I think we're much more, sadly, we're, um, we're much more cognizant and much more aware of this phenomenon. So the fact that going back to this idea of what will you sit and watch, you know, what will you sit and watch now that we're going back to the theater, because we all need to be lifted a little bit. I think the idea of going to see a show about, you know, active shooter drills seems scary, but also I think this play in some ways is more relevant in, in, in terms of our, what our national tolerance is or what our cultural tolerance is. Um, we need to, we need to laugh, but we also maybe need to also find some humor in a very serious situation that we all find ourselves in, you know, with the pandemic, so. Yeah, and I'm sure that it, I, I have no doubt that it has the humor element, Eric. I'm not doubting Thank that. You. Thanks, but also, but also that, you know, it's interesting. The exercise you described just now is exactly what the rabbi in Texas who is being held hostage did. Yep. You know, so it's obviously like, oh, that is the training people are getting, which is absurd and ridiculous that that's our answer. Right. But, so 
how did they find you? How did you find them? You know, they reached, they, um, so I was at, I had a theater, I have a theater agent now, new, and we'll talk about that, that in terms of the business of it all. But at the time I was at a, um, a big, I was at UTA and, um, and my agents reached out to me and they're like, the speaker in Chicago is interested in doing your play. Now, I'm not sure if they found me through UTA or I'm also on the new play exchange um, and the plays up on, on that. So um, I'm not sure how exactly they found me, but they found me. So they found it probably on their own and most and, likely and reached out. And that's, that's pretty cool because I, I love the new play exchange and me too. it feels a little like a needle in a haystack that someone will find you, you know, but, but it's a great haystack for people to go to. You know? Yeah, it, it feels that way to me sometimes too, but it's nice to, you know, as artists, it's nice when we have a little bit of control over kind of how our our product, if you want to call it that, our, our, our work gets to people. So I like the new play exchange for that very reason. It's cheap yeah. to be a member and you can put yourself up and you can download your plays and you can write descriptions and people, other artist friends can write really cool recommendations for you. It's, it's nice. It is nice. And just the idea that this company, and I know that I looked them up a little bit, the Broken Nose is 10 years old, but that it's this member driven and they can, you know, it's pretty cool. They can go and look and find something that is relevant thematically that they want to talk about, but also maybe fits their membership. Right. You know, it's a great site for that. It is good. Did you say you switched agency? I did. Well, recently, I mean, I've been on this like 16 month long road trip and uh, and I'm kind of just getting back to what I guess I consider the work, quote unquote. I You can't see my hands, but I'm doing the rabbit ears because um, I feel like I've been doing a lot of personal work over the past 16 months, which have, which which has sort of influenced the way that I look at my career and how I feel about you know, this vocation, I consider writing for playwriting and TV and film writing, which I also do, uh, a vocation for me. And um, and so as a result of that, as a result of some life changes, as a result of get, realizing that I had a relationship, a working relationship with a manager that wasn't fitting for me, that wasn't actually working out, I switched representation entirely. So I have a new manager relationship, which is about two months old, a new agent relationship, which is about the TV and film side is about a month old. And I have a brand new relationship with uh, Beth Blickers at APA, which is where I'm represented, which is about a week and a half, two weeks old. <laughs> and she's amazing. And um, I'm already getting a short play of mine published in an anthology, so. From, from the relationship. From the relation, two days after we had our initial conversation, I was in like nine degree weather outside the Art Institute of Chicago um, in Millennium Park looking at the bean. Uh, we were had, had this great conversation and she just asked to read everything. She said, can I read everything? And I said, you don't want to read everything. And she said, no, I really want to read everything. Your short plays, your long plays or, you know, whatever, monologues. And she had asked some questions about some short plays I sent her and then two days later, she's like, you know that oddly out of the blue question I asked you? Well, you this one play of yours is getting um, is getting published in an anthology. And I'm, and then we're gonna send the contracts out to you tomorrow. And it kind of happened and which was awesome, which is great. When you went to Switch, is that from relationships you had built with them or was it asking friends and colleagues, who do you like? Yeah, I asked friends and colleagues. A lot of that was, I mean, there are people who knew me who, had re, what, there was, so basically the search, and I'll make this as quick as possible, but the search was, once I, once I got rid of my former manager and I realized that that relationship, I knew that relationship wasn't working. And what I, a flaw of mine, both as a writer and as a human being interested in romantic entanglements is that I don't know when to leave. Yeah. And 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 um, I think most of my life I've been, and we'll, we'll talk about the career stuff and my personal stuff. We can get there. But 
I'm unha- I'm usually unhappy longer than I'm ready to let go. And I think that I'm so flattered that someone even likes me and even wants to represent me that I am not great about speaking up when I'm unhappy. And the relationship with this person um, that I was with for four years, this manager, we had had a conversation, um, you know, kind of mid relationship and where I was unhappy and I told him that and he heard me and more things happened. And ultimately that led to me getting um, the job on uh, Netflix's AJ and the Queen, which was a great show. And, and then it kind of slowed down and, and, and communication, I realized the communication wasn't happening and I wasn't, there wasn't a lot of transparency in terms of how my things were being submitted or, you know, what was happening, or I would always call and check in with him. And as you know, I spent quite many years working for a manager. And so I understand what that relationship should be like, because I worked for an amazing manager who also represented me and for a period of time. So when I decided to let this person go, I had a very frank conversation with him. I was like, you know, I'm going to be very clear. He said, can you let me know why you're letting me go? And I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's fair to any, either one of us to kind of be coy about it. And I was hoping maybe that that would be helpful for him. I mean, you know, it's not my business whether or not he internalizes it and improves, but I wanted to just offer that and just be honest for myself. And then I started meeting with people and I had one company that reached out to me. They found me. I had one company that was a friend referral, but I knew, I knew them. And I had, I was taking some meetings and they weren't. And I realized if I want things to go differently, I have to engage in this process differently. So the minute I was like, ah, uh, I don't know if how, I don't know if this feels right. It was a no for me. And not in the room on the call. Right. Like, internally, I was like, you know, that's a no. Because normally I'm like, and again, on both kind of ends of the spectrum, oh, I can make it work. Okay, well, it's not perfect. But, you know, I'm good enough where I can kind of make the situation work. I decided I wasn't going to do that this time. And that's, and that's a sense of comfort over time of also knowing you have you work, like you just mentioned the show, the Netflix show, and... Uh, and a couple other shows that you've worked on, now you're in a place where you're like, wait a minute, I can trust this feeling. Yeah, yeah. And it does take a little bit, and it does, you know, as much as I want to say, I don't seek outside validation, and I, you know, trust myself, you know, I'm also, it took me a long time, when we were, you know, when we, (laughs) I was at NYU, I was a person who only wanted outside validation, and tell me how good I am, you think I'm great, great, let's work together, And, and that's, awesome. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, you know, I have gotten to this place where, like you said, I can have a comfort in what I can do. Yes, there are things that I can look to and go, oh, yeah, I've done some stuff and, 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 and I have something of value to offer. And so this person isn't maximizing my potential. So what I need to do is find someone who can maximize my potential. And, you know, in looking for representation this time around, I felt like I needed communication. I wrote a list of things I needed. Like I need communication, I need transparency, I need to, you know, I need that good alchemy, that sort of chemistry that you have with someone that you, uh, where I like their taste, where I feel like they are going to make a push for me, that they're going to be aggressive. Um, Those are things I need because they can do that, so I don't have to do that. You know, yeah, and that's important. And, I, and, I, and it's not just about handing yourself over to a representative. I mean, I'm gonna be aggressive and forthright and, you know, um, and I'm gonna go for it, you know, in my own ways, like in my relationships, on the page, in the things I write, but also I'm gonna cover that in my own networking, but there are people that I can't reach that you can, and I need you to be. Right, you need them to add something too. You know, I, I need you to be additive, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great to get that clarity in my neck. I want to jump back a little bit because I know I'm going to ask about your working with the assistant and that choice, assisting the manager originally, yep. Larry. But the 15 month reevaluation of your relationship to your career. Yeah. Um, 
obviously the pandemic happened, but did anything else spur that? Where did you know, like, what, what made you say, oh, I need to reevaluate? Because I think right now everybody's doing it, so it's important, but you are also in a place where you're working, you know? Yeah. I have, you know, um, you know, things really kind of started shutting down, what, like March, 2020, February, March, 2020. I had a wonderful six months of not feeling like I was affected by the pandemic because I was in a relationship and I saw, I wasn't isolated. I, I was isolated with someone, but I had someone to talk to. And then, um, and then that relationship ended and I was getting ready to move to, because of the pandemic and I felt I could work anywhere, I was gonna move to Seattle with this person. Um, I had given up my place, that, you know, the place I was renting out here, I had gotten a new car because I needed my car died during the pandemic and I wasn't going to go shopping for a car, you know, when, well, I couldn't when, you know, things were shut down, but I made all these plans and then kind of midstream, this person let me know that uh, it wasn't going to happen. And, you know, I'll leave it at that for my own privacy and their privacy, but it wasn't going to happen. And I was like, you know what? I have a car, a new place to live. I'm gonna hit the road. And that was really the impetus. That was the first impetus. And, um, and I felt like something about moving out of LA was attractive to me in, you know, in the context of this move in this relationship with this, you know, he had gotten a job and we were gonna move. So that bug was still there. That wasn't going away just because the relationship had dissolved. So I hit the road and I started doing things that, and again, this is something about me. I, my first reaction to, cause there was some time where I was settling up things in LA while he had gone to Seattle already. And um, my first reaction was to start doing these like long walks and work out and to take care of myself, essentially take care of myself. And then once we broke up, I started running. I mean, well, you know, we can talk about the running thing. I started running again. And um, I started doing things that felt like they were good for me. And I think that's part of that is pandemic, like self-care. And as the self-care started happening and I started paying attention to what I wanted, I think that bled into other areas of my life. And I, and, and I had, I had been working really aggressively, steadily, relentlessly, you know, I mean, for a long time, but like it's sort of, the breakup halted that this road trip happened and I was in this weird place that I've never really been in where I was journaling every day. I was writing, I was journaling every day, but I wasn't writing new scripts. I wasn't producing product. And for someone whose entire identity was wrapped up in being a writer, I mean, you know this, I wanted this my whole life. I went to NYU. I went to the best school you could go to on a full scholarship, which was a huge validation, which is where we met. And I thought so many things had happened in my life where I was like, well, I'm, I'm a writer. That's who I am. Like, if the writing's not going well, I'm not going, I'm not doing well. If the writing's great, I'm great. Like, so all of a sudden, this thing that I trusted, this way for me to make sense of the world, because for me, writing is really personal. I didn't have it. I didn't want to write, I couldn't. And it was frightening. And so then I just was like, well, this isn't happening. So I'm gonna, so my days were, running, making lunch, making dinner, farmer's markets, you know, road tripping. Like that was my, that, that was my life for, I would say the first year um, of, that, of, of, of that time. And, and I just kind of at some point gave in. And it was like, this is what I need to do. And I think other things then as I started getting more spiritual, as I started meditating more, as I, I was, I'm from LA, I live in LA. I am someone who never did a lot of like, I never had a, went to a psychic. I never had, uh, you know, I, I never had a, like a, um, a natal chart reading. Like I, as woo woo as LA and Hollywood is, I wasn't that person. And I'm now that person. I'm 
staring at my tarot deck, my crystals. I have an intuitive healer I consult with twice, you know, once every two months. Um, I started getting in touch with some stuff. And, and that's kind of, that was the evolution. That was kind of what has kind of led me to reconsider reconsidering my whole life. But obviously my career is a big part of it. Yeah, um, well, it is fun, but when you say reevaluating your career, I'm intrigued because yeah, as far as I, as long as I've known you, which is a while, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years almost, yeah. um, you've wanted to, you know, you wanted to be a writer, you wanted to obviously a playwright, but also film and television clearly. And I'm wondering what the internal shift is. As you know, my, my dad passed away several years ago, like almost 10 years ago. And that was another shift for me in terms of priorities because I had moved home to take care of it. And I, at that moment, I felt like, you know, writing felt like such a selfish endeavor. It felt like, you know, so self-involved and so, oh, I want to be a writer because I want people to like me or I want to be a writer because I want my plays to get produced or my shows to get on the air. It felt very self-serving in a way that was weird because I was the care, primary caretaker for someone who was dying, for my father who was dying. So the conclusion I came to then was, no matter what happens with the career stuff, because I was breaking, I was still in this kind of breaking in phase of my life and hadn't broken in and hadn't quote unquote made it yet, whatever that means. I was like, I'm gonna write no matter what. And if, if, and if I can write for a living, great. If not, that's fine. But writing became what it was for me when I was 15, which was survival. And so I would take care of my dad during the day. He would go to bed at night. And I would write to get my feelings out, to sort of, you know, work through things. Not because I'm trying to get on XYZ show or I'm trying to get someone to read my stuff or whatever. So once that shift happened, then I started working. I mean, a few years in between. And then I started working. And then this happened and I was like, you know, I've been pursuing this for so long. I'm having some success at it, but what is it that I really want to do? And I think what I realized I really wanted to do was bet on myself in a way that I hadn't been betting on myself. Because I think the success gave me, and and again, I mean, it's all relative, success relative to other people I know, you know, on, on either end of the spectrum, but I had felt like, I had done it. Like I'd done the thing I'd set out to do. I'm a member of the Writers Guild. I've been on a few shows. I'm a mid-level television writer. People know who I am. You can Google me. Like those things, those markers, right? That happened. And because of that, I think I started buying into all of it again. I started buying into like, I have this much. I want this much more. I want more. I want more. And, And I think this was a kick in the can and I, and I think, and I was like, okay. I love the phrase bet on myself. Sorry to interrupt, uh, yeah. but I love that. What does that mean? That I'm going to write what I want to write. And then I'm going to put myself out there. Like I, I do this thing where I choose a word every year. That's going to be kind of the theme of the year. And my theme this year is authenticity. Cause I've decided that I'm going to show up completely as myself in any given situation. You know, I feel also that what kind of jump-started my feelings about, you know, because I had those th- those conversations with myself, is this what I really want to be doing? Is this what I should be doing? I put all this time in, you know? And I think the, the thing that I keep coming back to is community. And that I've built an incredible community of other writers, of other, I'm a, I'm a member of this coalition called The Clubhouse, where a collective of gay Latino, male identified TV and film writers who are in the Writers Guild. Um, We're 24 members strong. We're support to each other. We are, it is a very complicated thing to be a queer person of color in this business. And um, when you have other people who look like you or have similar experiences um, that you can look at and feel like I'm not alone. Yeah, that's what this career has given me. I have a collective of playwright friends who live in LA, I have other, you know, other writers who, you know, boost me up. And I feel like, and also I feel like my responsibility as a, you know, Mexican person, as a Chinese Mexican gay dude is 
to continue to keep doors open and to sort of, you know, I, I hold a very special place that not a lot of people who look like me or come from where I came from get to hold. And I feel like I need to hold that place. I need to hold that place, period. I think I have a gift and I think I have to, and I think I, I so what it came down to was don't waste the gift. Yeah. And it re-energized me because I was like, you know, seeing, th you know, seeing all this beautiful nature around me and all these, having these incredible experiences and getting in touch with life again and realizing life isn't just about being a writer. And it used to be writing was the center of my life and then life happened around it. And now I've kind of reversed that ratio where life happens and my career kind of goes around that. Doesn't mean that I'm not working as hard as I've always worked. It's actually made me more focused. Yeah, it sounds like it. you can concentrate the time you're doing it, you're concentrating as well as being able to let go. I have to touch on the community building because it's interesting knowing that you went out to LA, you came from LA, you went to New York, to NYU, you went back to LA to chase career, mm -hmm. you know, and, but while there, I also know you've always been good at building community. I feel like you, you can give me the correction of this, but it feels like the East West, like the writers from NYU that were out in LA, like you formed this group, you helped shape that group of yep. writers. And funny to listen to you talk about Clubhouse and the, and the, need for community that way. And I think like, it's always been something that has driven you. And I find it interesting because it's not necessary, it's necessary for personal support. It's not necessary for career. You were doing other pathways for career, you know? And what does it do for you to do that? Yeah, I mean, it is for personal support. You're right. And, it, and it's sort of, you know this, writing, is a very solitary, I don't have to tell anyone this, this is, you know, Captain Obvious, but writing is a very solitary endeavor. And, and being an artist is a very singular solitary endeavor as well. And so the reason why I'm a dramatist and not a poet or a fiction writer, even though I love those things, is that I need to be around people. I need to, I need to be part of creating something. I need to also not feel alone. I need to have cool, random inside baseball conversations with other theater, film and TV geeks. I need to do all of that. And, and I think, you know, it's, that, it's also that, you know, 12 year old in me who started writing things down because I had crushes on boys and I couldn't talk about it. <laughs> and so, you know, and then, and then I meet other brown dudes like me who had crushes on boys and started writing it, you know, so, it's, it's that, it's realizing that we all kind of come from the same core in the same place. And for me, I think the thing that changed too, or not changed, but the thing I just re-energized was, you know, the car, getting the car, getting the trophy partner, getting the house, getting the vacation house, getting the third vacation house, getting, you know, the $1,400, you know, um, t-shirt, whatever, like, accumulating things wasn't enough or accumulating accolades really wasn't enough to keep me right, engaged. Did you buy a $1,400 t-shirt? No, but I, I know <laughs> I don't have a $1,400 t-shirt, but I, I, um, I do have a story about a $1,400 distressed flannel shirt that's a, a, a coworker of mine was wearing. And she said, oh, I feel like this brand is totally up your ass. I didn't know how much it was at the time. She's like, oh, I think you would totally dig this brand. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I looked it up and I'm like, that sure is $1,400. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's interesting when you go to work with, you know, people wearing Gucci sneakers. Um, and when you go to work and like everyone but you and one other person is a millionaire. I mean, it is really interesting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but that, and, 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 not, and I'm not, you know, I'm not placing, you know, value or judgment on, on that, I think, you know, but I think all those things to me feel like a byproduct <clears throat> of the world, or they should, for me, are byproduct of the work versus motivation oh. for the work. Yeah. Motivation for I, the work. One of the things that I thought was interesting about your path that I wanted to touch on is you you did, I don't know if you intentionally went out to work as a, you know, I knew that you worked with Larry, the assistant in his office as a manager. Yeah. But because you were also a playwright, you're you know, we met at NYU, your thesis was playwriting, you were yeah. getting readings done with the Lark, 
you know, but you went out. Was that intentional? Was it, hey, I'm going to go get it plugged into this industry that pays? Am I going to work with this manager because I'm going to understand the business better? What what was the motivation for that? Because I think it's a, I, I don't think people understand that it, getting in the business to me, getting in the industry and figuring out something about it is beneficial no matter how you get in right. to be in the community. But I'm yeah. curious why you took, what, what motivated you to take that route? And then what do you think you got out of it? Yeah, I mean, what motivated me really was that I needed a job and someone had recommended me to this job. Like I was in LA for six months not working. <clears throat> and um, once I came out here, came back out here. And so um, this guy seemed great. He also was going to read me. I was introduced to him as a writer first. And then um, and then they were looking for an assistant. And, and this is through another relationship. I had a really, a really good relationship with Chris Till, who's an, who's an agent in New York. And, um, and he recommended me to Larry, Larry Schumann, I should say, of the Schumann Company. And then he found out that Larry was looking for an assistant. And that's how that happened. And then I realized this is a really great opportunity, like you said, to learn about the business. I've always been business minded. I've always sort of been as much as, you know, I've grown into, you know, maybe a more settled, grounded person. I think I've always been interested in, you know, the business and marketing myself and how to make, how to generate my own work, like for sure. Like I've always been, you know, interested in that. And so working for Larry, getting to understand the nuts and bolts of how that universe works, because he's primarily worked with television writers. He worked, works with very high level television showrunners, you know? So I got to learn that. I got to see that from the inside out. Then I got to meet other assistants who have now become big executives, big writer producers, but, you know, like we've all, we all kind of came up together. So again, that was another community that you were in the trenches of the assistant world together. And, and when you realize that someone has their back as, as an assistant or they're really smart or they're perceptive or they're a good writer, you hold tight to those people, just like I did my classmates at NYU. And so that was great. And, and, I, and, I worked, and then I got to do things like go to the Humana Festival with Larry and you know, scout out playwrights. And I got to you know, meet other theater people and all of that. I think the great thing about that job, what I got out of it was all of that. I got to understand how pitches were put together, how, you know, what happens when your script is sent out to someone. I got to read scripts that got produced or got made. Why did they get made? Like I got to study. It was really like, you know, a post-doc, you know, or post-MFA, I didn't get my doctorate, but post-MFA sort of, you know, several year, you know, it's, I like getting my PhD, really. Like it was getting yeah. education. Um, what was difficult about it, and, and a lot of people who are assistants and kind of you can get in that loop, and I think I was such a great assistant that um, I'm so capable and smart and intelligent and, and he could trust me with a lot of things that that was my identity because I was represented there and, and, and not, no fault of anyone's, but I think it's just human nature when, you get, when someone's great at what they do and they serve a purpose for you, it just, you want them to keep doing that. And, and so, um, so I kind of got locked into that. And I think that was the, that, that was the thing that was difficult. But now what I realized several years, several years later is that it was all part of the journey. And that now that I've, you know, I've, um, everything I've done, you know, like you, you mentioned NYU Writers Lab West, which is a group of alumni from NYU and dramatic writing, a lot of dramatic writing people um, who created a, you know, kind of a, you know, a collective out here to produce work. Um, and to kind of get people to see our work. Um, but I produced, you know, produced theater. I um, was able to assist people on pitches. I was able to talk to writers on a high level because um, I became friendly with all of Larry's clients. Um, all those things kind of led me to, once I was on set, working on my very first show, which is a job I got because of someone I went to NYU with, who was the showrunner, Susan Hodges, S.J. Hodges, shout out um because of that relationship 
you know, I got that gig, part of it was I got that gig. And then also I was able to be on set and produce my own episodes and, 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 and jump from staff writer to co-producer, which is a leap, which is a huge leap unheard of. Um, in my first, for my first year, then my second year on that show, because I knew how to talk to a director. I knew how, that when you produce something, there are moving parts and there are people in different departments. I wasn't intimidated by that. I was also a little bit of a grown up by that point. Um, but I had that confidence to kind of make a leap. That once I finally got that break, I made a huge leap. Right. And, um, and that was a big deal. But it was also, it was every step along that journey. And I think when I worked for Leary, especially towards the time I was leaving, I was like, have I overstayed my welcome? Have I been here too long? Again, I don't know when to leave. Um, so, but then several years later, I'm like, that was such an essential part of my journey because I was kind of like a de facto creative executive for him. I was reading stuff, I was recommending stuff. And then I got another job right after that working for showrunners. And I was kind of the brain trust of the operation as we were reading writers for the pilot that we were producing. They were like, your taste is so good and it matches up with our taste that we're not gonna read anything that comes from the studio unless you like it. Which is again, unheard of. Like you don't really put your trust into an assistant and go, we trust what he, and they would say that on calls, you know, with the studio, which I'm sure they didn't like, but that gave me confidence too, that I knew what I'm doing. And so, you know, uh, yeah. How did the job with SJ come? Did she invite you in? Did you, did you ask, how did it happen? And I, I asked because I think, you know, you do all the groundwork and you've done, you've done the writing and you're, and you're, like you said, you did the business part and the assistant and you're in the community, but there's always that moment of like, well, wait, how do I get the job? Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I, I was hitting the pavement for a while and she got an opportunity to run the show, to be the showrunner of the show, first time showrunner. And she said to me initially, I want to bring you in. And then she heard from the network and studio that they only wanted to hire people who had worked as a television writer before. So kind of in a weird full circle moment, she, and this was a show that was about teenagers. It was kind of, it was about, it, it had a murder mystery element to it. It was an anthology series. And I had, a, and, and the play that is being produced in Chicago is about teenagers. There's, you know, there's violence in it. There's, you know, but they're, they're mature, they're, they're well-written teenage characters in it. And there's a school shooting in the pile in, in, in the series. There's obviously this is about school shootings. It was kind of the right the right matchup. It was and then so that convinced them once they read that play, that convinced the studio to meet with me. Because they were like, you know what, we're not okay, we'll read him, but we only want people who have worked in TV. So they read me, they liked the material. It fit what they were, it was a pretty good match for what the show was gonna be. That was that that was that was a um thumbs up. That was a you know feather in my cap. And then I killed the meeting. You know, I did a I, I again being in meetings with Larry, me, hearing from my showrunner bosses, here's what you do. They would sit down with me after they would meet with writers. And they're like, here's what you're not gonna do. Here's what you should, here's what you should never do. So someone just did this. And this is what you should so all that stuff, all that knowledge, when I had the opportunity. Um, I took all that information um, and I, you know, and I did a great, I killed it. And, and I got the job despite, you know, them saying initially, we're not going to hire you. And even though SJ wanted me in the room, she was limited by, you know, that caveat. No, that's why I ask actually is because it's always hard to get that first break, right? To get, oh that, my God. To get that first job, we, you need experience you know, well, how do I get experience if you're not going to hire me, you know? And I think what you, not only did she push for you, were you the right fit because of the material you write, but you were prepared to do the meeting because of all the work. And I also love the fact that people mentored you professionally. You learned on the job working with Larry and watching that, but people saying, you're not going to do this. Here's what you're going to do. And listening, <laughs> which I have to say, 
is also a good strength of being able to say like, right, I'm not going to do that. Because it would be easy, especially things we talked about earlier in the pod where you're like, oh, I want them to like me. Mm-hmm. You know, so you might do it differently. You might, you know, forget the thing somebody told you you're not going to do and, and or n- not trust that. And it's really great that you were prepared to do it. And because that is the hardest thing, getting that first job always, you know. Yeah, it's and, really, it's, it's difficult. You know, it, it's sort of, and then you get that first job and you realize, you know, what I realized going into the writer's room was I had been training for so long and preparing for so long for a job that the skills that I need for the job, I wasn't necessarily training for. What I mean by that is I was writing, you know, I was getting pretty proficient at writing scripts, writing pilots, writing plays, writing. So I'm like, I'm getting a job as a writer. So I have to have good writing, which of course you need good writing. But also, you know, you have to, you know, there are work dynamics. There are, you have to speak up. You have to pitch in the room. You have to, and those are things that we don't, you know, I certainly wasn't trained at NYU to do that. I didn't know any, I just was trained. Here's how you outline. Here's what a good idea is. Here's how good character development thematically. Here's what you should do, what structure, all of that, which you need, like it's a given that you have a good script. It's a given that the first 10 pages of your script need to be amazing. Because what I discovered when I um, when I was working for the showrunners was if it's not good in the first 10, they're going to stop reading. And what I also then discovered after I read parts of 250 scripts for them <laughs> was that I knew by page th- pages three to five is when I knew. And a script would never get any, if, if, if script was bad in the first three to five pages or 10 pages, let's say, it would never get better. If it was really good in the first first 10, it could get worse. But the first 10 were really good indication that at least this writer had something. But it's the same thing in an audition room, you know, in a minute. Totally. You know, and and you can't hold back. And it's a highly competitive industry, all of it. And the idea of like, somebody, you have 250 scripts to read. Somebody's not going to take the time. You know, there's a better 10 pages coming. I'll find them, you know, I think that's good. I, I don't want to not miss this because while you're doing all this work in getting this postgraduate education in film and television, um, I also am aware that you're also staying connected. Like you said, Larry was very, he's one of the managers who was interested in theater writers for television, which is why Humana came about and stuff like that. But you also were very good, I felt, and does it take a lot of effort or is it interested in, in just because you're interested in staying connected and like, I might get the wrong company, but like center stage up in Portland, is that right? Oh, Portland center stage. Yeah. 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 Like just making sure that you're staying connected and going up and were you going up there to pitch yourself as a playwright or were you going up there to see new work? Like what was, Oh yeah. I would go, how, um, how are well, you keeping engaged as a playwright? Cause I love the fact that, you know, you've got on it on the on the show. You got to be a, you got to produce an episode. You know, your episode. You your work with this manager. And then as the pandemic's opening up, I'm like, wait, there's Eric Loose plays getting done. And yeah. so, how have you kept your foot engaged in the theater the whole time? <laughs> that's a really that's a that's an interesting question because I feel like because of the work I did with Larry, people kind of under knew I was a playwright and people would would read my stuff, but I was really more of this sort of LA guy. And they knew I went to NYU and they knew stuff, but I had someone who worked at um, at MTC say to me once, oh my God, I totally forgot you're a playwright. And I'm like, what, what? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, red alert, danger, Will Robinson, this is not good. And again, it goes back to the sort of, you know, I was such a great assistant that they, you know, that, 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 um, that it was it was a weird relationship in terms of pushing for me as a TV writer. And, and, and again, not at, to anyone's, it wasn't a malicious thing. It wasn't intentional at all. But I in fact, put myself into these roles. Um, I stayed engaged with theater because I felt like, again, I needed to, you know, I needed, I needed to write plays because I felt I needed to 
be uncensored in the things that I wanted to say and how I wanted to say them. And, and I think in, in TV and film, it's sort of you're servicing, you know, the intentions of your showrunner, your, you know, it's, I always say it's, it's technical writing because it is so, you have to hit certain beats, certain moments where so used to watching and, and, and digesting television content in a certain way that the, the structure is there for, is, is there for a reason. And it's kind of a template and then you, but you follow the template, plays are different. And I'm very interested in structure as a, as a playwright, you know, but more so in, I'm writing this play about this, about active shooter drills. What's the best way to tell that story? Um, you know, and so I kept engaged because I felt like I, people were forgetting. I mean, really it's because people were forgetting. And so um, I would go up to Jaw every year um, because my brother lives in Portland and his family lives in Portland. So that was a good excuse. Um, I also, you know, almost in this reevaluation period of my life, six months actually before I got my, the, the job on Guidance, which was the S.J. Hodges show, um, I went and interviewed for a job at, as the literary manager at Portland Center Stage because I had a really good friend, Elizabeth Wilder, who you've interviewed, who I just talked to yesterday, um, who said, who reached out to me. She's like, hey, there's this job open. Probably, I don't know if it's what you want to do, but I think you'd be really good at it. And it's in Portland and I know that your brother and his family live there. And, and, and so I interviewed, like they flew me up to interview and I ended up not getting the job. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. I guess this means I'm still in LA. And, um, and then six months later, I got my first TV job. So, you know, but I stayed connected with the theaters and stuff because I felt like, you know, I go to, I, I live out here. So I go to South Coast Rep has the Play, Pacific Playwrights Festival, you know, um, in non-pandemic times. I'm usually there every year to connect with people, you know, to, to see friends, to just to, to see what's out there. And also just the, really the community is why I stay connected. Um, and also, you know, it's so interesting now embarking on this new relationship uh, with Beth. It's sort of, we have this great conversation about I want to do both and I want to do, I, I want to be active in, 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 in both areas. And she said, great. And I ask about it because a lot of people, you know, they, they playwright, playwright, playwright for a while. And then they're like, oh, I want to, how do I get in a room or something like that? You know, yeah. and I think not that you're doing it the other way, but simultaneously, but the film and the television part took off a little more. Oh yeah. I am, I am doing it the other way. And like, it's really funny because I very cynically said to someone once, and I kind of still stand by this, even though I don't consider myself a cynical person, but I said, I think my playwriting career might, you know, quote unquote, take off once my film and TV career takes off. And, 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 and that could be it for a number of reasons. It could just be that I am, you know, feeling my oats. Like, like I just have more confidence it could be, but it could be, you know, both, but I, but, you know, it's never going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. And so I thought playwright, well, I went to NYU. I'm like, I'm a playwright. I'm a playwright. I'll probably be a university professor. I'll do that thing. Then I had, you know, a TV professor say, you should work, work in TV. And I took him up on that. Like, I just believed him because I'm like, okay, again, looking, a young person looking for validation. You think I should work for TV in TV? Great. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what, you know, that's what set me off on that, you know, coming back to LA. So it just happened this way. You know, I thought it was going to happen another way. I thought it was going to happen, right? I thought I was going to, you know, bust it out straight out of NYU. That didn't happen. You know, like, that's the thing to, you know, when you're young and you should be young, driven and impatient. That just, you should you should be that way. But as you get older, you realize that it's things happen as they happen. And so the advice I would give to someone would be relax, don't worry about it, it'll happen. That's not the advice I would have taken. I wouldn't have taken that. I would have been like, F you, like, no, it's gotta happen now. You know, like um, I want it to happen. You know, um, I was impatient. And I think I learned 
patience. I learned that it was about, it's about the work and find other ways to make money, find ways to be connected to people, find ways to have community. Because when, you know, when you have a production that falls through or when you, or when you have a great meeting and you don't get the job or when you feel like you don't, you've run out of ideas, it's the other people who in your life who understand what that feels like that get you through. That's what I tell my students. I say, you start, how do I, you know, how do I break in or how do I build a network? Well, you're in class with like, you know, 10 other people. And then, and then you'll graduate and then you'll get all the assistant jobs. You'll do all the things that you need to do. And then, and then they'll have friends that they meet and then your, your circle will get bigger and then you'll start working and then your circle will get bigger. And that's what happens. I also, um, love, I also love the fact that you said community because of not only the network of getting work, like you and SJ remaining friends from yeah. school and outside of it, it could, you, got you work. But I also like that you put that when you don't get the job, they're the ones who will understand what that experience is like. And I think the peer support, peer employment is lovely, but peer support, you can't beat that. I mean, that's why you stick with it for, you know, that's why you have a career that lasts. That's why you have longevity. You know, if you don't have that, it's really easy to feel alone and like a failure. And so you give it up and, and maybe you're meant to go off and do other things. And that's the thing I think that I learned too, is that when I was at NYU, I think I had, as we all did, you know, um, my fellow classmates, I think, or a lot of us, I wouldn't I shouldn't say all, but, you know, there's this feeling when you're young well, if you don't make it, then you've failed, right? Like if you haven't done it, you know, if you're not good, then, you know, then, then what are you? And again, this is the identifying yourself purely as one thing, right? And so as I've had friends who have sort of, you know, chosen other paths of like, you know, if the ultimate goal is to be happy and live a fulfilled life, and that's what satisfies that goal, and they've, they're doing something completely different, then that's what they should be doing. You know, if, if, if it's just for me, a relentless pursuit of material wealth and, you know, validation, at some point it's never enough. And some point, and it, and, and it's, lo lo you know, it's, it, it, it's lonely and it's sad, you know, and, and all the money in the world isn't gonna, or all the whatever awards in the world aren't gonna make up for that. But if you have people who are, who, are your ride or die people who kind of understand what it's like, that'll get you, that gets you through the, 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 the lean years for sure. You know, gets you through, and it gets you through when, you know, you've reached the top of the mountain and you're like, okay, well, what, what now? You know, because you, we started out this conversation with, you know, kind of talking about my reevaluation. You reevaluate at different points in your life, as you know. So, so it's, and there is no making it, right? There is no sort of level that, you know, I, people can look at me on paper and go, well, you've done X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I have. And sometimes I need to remind myself of that. But, but it's also like, I still feel like I'm just getting started. If that makes any sense. Like, I still feel like, and, and, and I think it is curiosity. It's the, it's, I'm ambitious, but I think more so than that, I think I'm really curious. I want to know the things that I don't know. Oh, great to catch up with Lou. Really happy the plays are happening. I also loved hearing about the 15-month road trip. I feel like a couple of people I know very well are doing that during the pandemic and uh, reevaluating and What's interesting about that is hearing Eric talk about the reevaluation and at the end just talking about remaining curious. I think that's always been true for him. And I think that is the probably the best, you know, advice that I think about is, uh, you know, always remain curious, keep learning what you don't know. You know, that's, that's it. I sort of stopped me in a truck. So I'm like, I'm constantly feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm putting together, I'm making a film of the solo show that I did. Uh, hope you get to 11 and, through that process, learning every day about what it takes to do that and moving that forward. And I'm listening to Eric talk and going, yeah, he's constantly applying. Not only is his curiosity about the industry, all the industries, theater, film, television, 
but then when he's learning something, applying it, and I enjoy that uh, also. And it was just great to catch up and and hear all of that, and also to know that you don't know what path it's going to take, and you can't predict. And I think we're all learning that during this pandemic. But but also we don't know where the you know what door is going to open, what what's going to lead to what, and sort of the similar spirit of the conversation with Bill Bowers: remain open and you know say yes to the possibility, but also stay clear on what you want. And I also appreciate that you can reevaluate any time. Again, something I think we're all doing. So thank you, Eric. Really great to talk and uh, great to, you know, just catch up. And I'm really glad that everyone here is listening. And I'm thinking about catching up and going, you know, I'm going to go back to what I was saying at the beginning. Go, you know, if your friends are making art, go check it out. Show up if if you feel safe. Uh, but I know that everywhere I've gone so far, you know, making sure you're vaccinated, everybody's wearing their mask. And it's... Um, I'm glad to just see that the work is getting done. And, you know, Eric's play, This Is Only a Test at Broken Nose Theater in Chicago. For those listening in Chicago, you know, go check it out. And Victor's play that's happening through Saturday and just all of it. Anybody, you know, if you know somebody who's putting up, it takes so much to get work out there now, but it's also because of the obstacles of the pandemic. But it's also people are putting up stuff they love and they care about, and, and you can feel it when you're there. And I'm... I'm really appreciating the reawakening of sort of the independent work that's getting up there. So I hope we can all go out and support each other and see the work. And with that, we're out. <laughs>